With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Madness in Madrid and a little touch of Modric magic. Chelsea gave it everything, but they ultimately didn't have enough to see off Real. The boys in blue bested again by Benzema as they bow out at the quarterfinal stage. Tuchel showed his credentials last night and Manchester City will need to do the same this evening as they too are in the Spanish capital in the Champions League. They're 1-0 up on the attritional Atletico, but will Sunday's blockbuster with Liverpool have taken anything out of City heading into another massive game? We'll find out tonight and we'll also discover if Liverpool can seal their deal on their 3-1 aggregate lead over Benfica at Anfield. Talking of sealing the deal, Manchester United are rapidly closing in on the appointment of Ajax's Eric Tenag as their new manager. It's thought the news could be made official next week. This time, have United finally got it right? All of that to digest on today's episode of Football Social Daily, the daily podcast with a Premier League focus brought to you every day of the season from Sports Social. A noticeably European flavour today as there are a number of English sides in continental competition this week. My name's Niall McCorn and joining me today to go through it all, Matt Peard, a City fan who's seasoned to European fare by now, and Ian Brannan, who the last time his side were in Europe, the only virus he had to worry about was the ones from MSN on Windows 90. How are you doing, boys? <laughs> and I had them all. <laughs> <laughs> Back in those early days. I say early days of the internet. That's because you, do- you download in LimeWire. You were downloading LimeWire. <laughs> was, was, it was Napster. It was Napster. That was the way I got all my viruses, definitely. But uh, hey, how times change now. You just get them from meeting people. It's uh, a lot simpler these <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, indeed. Mm. indeed. I'm glad you're feeling better, though, Ian. And Ian and yeah, it's good to, I mean, good to hear you're on the men. I, it was interesting interesting that um you, you shared my uh, prophecy um for the you know the big football match between um between man city and liverpool and and my prophecy of of who would be who diaz would Diaz. be in the lineup and and who would win and all that and 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 th- listening back to that 
social content, uh, knowing full well that little did I realise at the time, I was absolutely raging with COVID at the time. So don't um, take anything to what, that I said to make sense. But I did get the score right. So uh, there we <laughs> yeah. go. There's something from it. Um, I was jokingly talking there about Leeds last being in Europe uh, 20 years ago. Um, this well, year there. you were there where you was against Malaga I think uh-huh. that one of the games was where you got knocked out but uh, seeing, Valencia seeing, Valencia Valencia it? oh man it's semis yeah that was um, that was Champions League but I think it was UEFA Cup a couple of seasons after that oh UEFA Cup um, yeah, 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 yeah so yeah. no one cares about that do they you know that second tier ah, competition the, the, UEFA Cup the yeah, the Euro Vars. That's uh, well, basically what I, it is. I wanted to ask yeah. you, Ian, because I know you're a you're a radio presenter um, and a DJ Sometimes. as well. Um, <laughs> can you guess what was the number one the last time Ooh. Leeds were in Europe? Do you have any ideas? Right, the last time Leeds were in Europe would be twenty um, years ago well, this year. So around about this time it, in two thousand and two. Two thousand and two, number one would it be? Now, this is interesting because I moved to. Um, launch a radio station around this time so it's very very firmly fixed in my mind i would say something like enrique hero or not too bad it does begin with an e but it's not enrique it's eminem lose yourself Lose yourself, oh really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to lose well, ourselves yeah. now in the Champions League. Ian, chat. Ian, Ian yeah, you right. had one shot and one opportunity to get that right. <laughs> yeah. Well, if if I'd have known the question was coming, I would of course looked it up. But uh... <laughs> he would have shaved his head and dyed himself blonde uh, <laughs> to do the podcast. <laughs> That's right. Right. He came on here with a chainsaw. Enough of the nonsense. Let's talk about the Champions League. What a game it was last night. It finished Real Madrid two, Chelsea three in the second leg of the quarterfinal between these two sides. It finished five four on aggregate get to Real Madrid that is how it looks on paper but it certainly didn't pan out the way that many people expected with your own two eyes watching this game what a match it was Chelsea ended up roaring into a three goal lead it could have been four but for a controversial officiating decision we'll come on to that in a minute but in the end two goals from Real Madrid to peg back Chelsea the Blues did win on the night but it wasn't enough they trailed 5-4 on aggregate Real Madrid progressed to the semi-finals what a game of football Matt but how much credit did Chelsea deserve for running it that close? Because everyone was predicting they would be dead and buried after that first leg. Oh, they deserve a huge amount of credit, Niall. I mean, coming off the back of a, an emphatic win against Southampton over the weekend, they would have had bags of confidence going into the tie. And that, and that shown, they, they went 1-0 up after 15 minutes. Mason Mount, you know, they couldn't have asked for a better start in the tie, really. Uh, there was a bit of controversy with the, the second goal from the corner. I think it was from Rudiger. Um, whether it was a corner or not but sometimes you need to get little things like that to go your way in a big tie like this and uh, you know unfortunately the handball given from Alonso you know they weren't so lucky with that it was harsh but with uh, with VAR that seems to be the rules you know if uh, if the ball touches a hand in any way shape or form and they lead up to a goal it's handball that's just the way it seems to go um, I wish they would have had that rule in place when Lorente scored for Spurs against us in the Champions League a couple of years ago, but that is what it is. Um, it looked like it didn't even matter though after Werner put them ahead on the tie on the night with his third goal. He showed real composure in a pressure situation, so you know, fair play to him there. You know, they deserve to be ahead on the night, but you know, instantly then the tie was level after a ridiculous cross from Luka Modric with the outside of his boot um, onto the volley of Rodrigo. Then you felt after that, then there was only going to be one winner in extra time. And uh, that proved to be the case, even though Chelsea still created chances to go ahead in the tie. Um, you just felt Benzema was inevitable. He'd already hit the bar in the tie and ultimately uh, he put the tie beyond Chelsea's reach with another clever header down past Mende. And it was his fourth tie, um, fourth goal in the tie and his uh, 
38th goal overall in the season. You know, Modric at 36 and Benzema at 34, just ageing like fine wines. And Real Madrid showing that they really want that 14th time winner crown this season. And unfortunately for Chelsea, after showing so much fighting character in a game that looked dead and buried for them, they won't be able to defend their uh, European crown this season. Yeah, Chelsea obviously out of the Champions League, the competition they won last season at the expense of your club, Manchester City. And you kind of described nicely how the game flowed and panned out there. So let's go through it chronologically. Obviously, Chelsea um, into the lead early, good hit from Mason Mount. And then Rudiger with the header to make it two. Um, Werner made it three with a, a great sort of piece of composure, as you mentioned, Matt. And then that fourth goal or alleged fourth goal that was disallowed by Marcus Alonso, a former Real Madrid player. He absolutely hammered that, whistled it into the top corner. It was a top finish, but slowed down, Ian. You can see that there is contact with the ball sort of bobbling up and hitting him on the arm. Now, obviously, in the Premier League, we've come to understand what the rules are around handball, but you've always got this grey area when you translate games into Europe with referees from different nations where the interpretations might be slightly different. There are a lot of Chelsea fans that are raging this morning that that goal was chalked off for handball. It felt harsh. It looked harsh, but was it the right decision or were Chelsea stitched up by the officials on this occasion? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know that we've got VAR and and so many camera angles now that we don't know what to do. You know, We've got so many different looks of it. And I think sometimes, you know, these are the sort of decisions that, that define a game, that define football. And you look back over history, you know, and I, I think it's it's good to have these debates about whether an official's got a, um, a decision right or not, because we don't we don't have them anymore, do we, with VAR? And maybe we're too clinical in this country. And uh, you know, I I just think let it go. It's it's one of those. If it had gone in in favour of Chelsea, we wouldn't be talking about it so much. I'd, I wouldn't imagine. Um, I, for me, part of the fun. Um, even it's for me kind of reassuring that even in this age of so much technology that officials still manage to to make controversial calls right or wrong Um, it's part of the game part of the fun there's got to be an element of at the moment involved otherwise we're going to be going back and analyzing every single thing to the letter and and even Mm. then people are not going to be happy so Ah, just let it go let it go let it go I'm like Elsa (laughs) I weak I mean for me it's a weird one because, like what Matt was saying, handball in the build-up to a goal is always going to be controversial. But from my understanding, his hands weren't in an unnatural position, which is often what we're told to look out for. They were down by his side. Um, his hand was kind of slightly poking out, but I'm not sure what else he could have done with it in that situation. And secondly, I'm sure it bounces off of his thigh and onto his hand. Yeah, and I was under the impression that if you end up kicking the ball onto your own hand by mistake, it's not a yeah. handball. Um, so whether that changes depending on which penalty box you're in, I'm not sure. But anyway, the, the choice was made by the officials to, to rule the goal out. And Chelsea looked pretty well set at 3-0 until a piece of ridiculousness from Luka Modric. Matt has already dis- discussed it. So let's get your thoughts, Ian. Um, a bit of wizardry for me outside of the boot over the top of two or three defenders. It's a pinpoint pass, an excellent volleyed finish by Rodrigo as well. But that finish will be overlooked by the the nature of the assist. I mean, this guy's in his mid-30s, Luka Modric. He's won a Ballon d'Or in recent seasons. Do you think nowadays, with some of the performances we're seeing from players 
at elite levels well into their 30s that some of the the modern players are redefining what would be considered the traditional football retirement age yeah um and, and especially at you know this top level as well because we've seen players you know play well into their 40s before but not really you know still at champions league level uh and at, at, at really big clubs as well you know yeah. we've we've seen uh yeah. akin fenwa for example doing it well into his 40s for Ted, um, Teddy Sheringham was but this, like well. you for say Ian, this isn't bottom end of the championship coming down dropping a few levels or returning back to your home country uh, yeah. and doing it there this is the champions is league stuff. quarterfinals when your team's right up against it yeah, exactly. And I think this is this is a result of the extra conditioning, the extra knowledge and science that's in the game now and how much better players look after themselves in terms of their diet, their fitness, all this all the stuff that goes in behind it, the research, the um stats that that an analysis that that teams have enabled to look after the players is now bearing fruit and obviously it's been going on for 10 or 15 years or more, but it's allowing players to be managed better and we're seeing this rotation of squads and, and, and which is sometimes frustrating for fans to see when players are not playing when you think they should. But it shows that managing players, and it's not just with, with football either, it goes across all sorts of sports. We're seeing athletes um, performing at the top level for longer than ever they previously did you know into their late 30s and 40s at the very top level and you know it's great to see Modric there not just as some kind of uh show pony or whatever uh, to, to the past as to what he used to be and and some kind of honor or a nod and, and a thank you for all his hard work and being included in the side in that way that he's been picked on form on merit that he is still one of the best footballers in Europe and you know, we'll remember his his assist last night, which was absolutely terrific. It was a you know an amazing moment of football. But also another um, stat that I've seen from the game was uh, Vinicius Junior, um, and he's the joint assist leader, created more chances than anyone in the whole Champions League competition this year. So you've got these y- younger players too who are who are contributing, you know, far more than most players for any team have done this season and so for, for Real Madrid he assisted, uh, Benzer, he, yeah. he assisted Benzema last night and he? he just put in so many chances um, not just in this game but he's created 26 chances in, in the Champions League this season uh, so you know it's great to see as well that Real Madrid are back because they've been such a you know a, a shaky uh, name in football for, for, for the recent years but you know now they're back with real quality and, and they're the Real Madrid that everybody wants to see you know one of the great names performing at the top level whilst you know Barcelona are uh, having a bit of downtime shall we say but Real Madrid are firmly back in the room yeah I totally agree with what you're saying and with Bayern Munich being knocked out by Villarreal of all teams last night in the Champions League no doubt Real will be looking at eyeing uh, another Champions League trophy to add to their record tally they're the most successful side in the history of the European Cup and they'll be fancying their chances no matter who they come up against in the semi-finals it could be Atletico Madrid it could be Man City it could be Liverpool it could be Benfica we'll talk about those four teams and those two respective games next after this on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Champions League action tonight for two Premier League sides. We're going to discuss it right now here on Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Leeds fan Ian Brannan and Manchester City supporter Matt Pidd are alongside me and Atletico Madrid are the opponents for City in the quarterfinal second leg tonight at the Wanda Metropolitano. City hold a 1-0 lead after that victory at the Etihad. It's a slender victory, but it it does give them the advantage, no doubt about it, heading into this knockout tie. Now, the game at the weekend, everyone had eyes on that from all over the world. I'm talking about Man City against Liverpool, what was billed as the Premier League title decider. It finished 2-2. In my opinion, City looked like the better side. They had more chances. I think you'd agree with that as well, Matt. But can they enter the Lions' den in a different atmosphere with a different kind of feeling in this game and win tonight against Atletico? Because it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I think we can. Coming off the back of the performance against Liverpool over the weekend, like you said, Niall, we was the better side, we created the better chances and I think that'll give us a lot of confidence going into this tie. Um, Atletico lost against uh, Mallorca over weekend, so you know that could be in the back of their mind, both coming off the back of completely different kind of results. Um, I think mentally it might have taken out of a few players, might have mentally taken out of Guardiola because it was a mammoth tie, there was a lot riding on it. Um, but I think we just need to put that in the back of our minds now because it's another game gone. I think as soon as the um, the tie was over, I think all the players, Guardiola respectively, thinking straight about this game. Um, I think with the one-goal lead, it changes the dynamic of the tie. We're going to uh, see a completely different Atletico tonight. We're going to see them actually come and try and play football rather than play two banks of five or just one bank of ten sat in their box. Um, and couple of changes maybe because against Liverpool you've seen Guardiola flip the script um, starting with uh, Jesus and um, Sterling up top with obviously the pacing behind which sort of well it didn't sort of make it did make sense against Liverpool to uh, to try and match them Are, you, are you worried about that Matt? Are you worried about anything Guardiola might do because he was in sort <laughs> of classic Guardiola mood during one of his recent press conferences yeah. where he was like sarcastically mentioning the, the tendency people have to talk about him overthinking these yeah. big games um, but obviously he's been so successful it's it's hard to kind of go against anything that but Pep Guardiola decides to do in terms of team selection. But there are some City fans who are still kind of stung and burned by that Champions League final where there was an odd team selection against Chelsea. Are fans over that or is it going to be the case that, you know, every time there's a big game like this, there is going to be a small contingent that, that feel that there could be some sort of selection calamity? Me personally, I'm over it. I can't speak for all City fans, but 
I'm over it personally. I trust Pep and his team selection tonight. I think he'll go with a possession-based lineup rather than obviously what I talked about with pace. I think like of Grealish and Mares will start because we've seen it with Grealish when he came on. He was riling up the Atletico players, and we all know they like to get stuck in. So hopefully, you know, he can um, have an impact in that respect and try and get a couple of bookings, maybe even ascending off if that's going to be the case. Because, like I said, Atletico are going to have to go for it tonight. The one nil down in the tie, obviously they've got 90 minutes to change that around, but City aren't going to let them have much of the ball. Atletico are going to have to fight, and City are going to just have to pick and choose their moments, I feel. I mean, against Liverpool on on Sunday, we, we had so many chances, especially in the first half. We have to be more clinical. We should have been three or four up at half-time in that tie, for me. So if we're going to put this tie to bed early, we need to be clinical and we need to show composure in the big moments. Um, as for Pep, I, I, I don't I don't have any sort of uh, reservations about his team selection tonight. I think he'll get it right. And I think on the night, I think we'll have too much for Atletico and I think we'll, we'll win. I think we'll win quite comfortably. Well, 1-0 is the aggregate score at the moment. Matt highlighted it there, Ian. Sunday's game against Liverpool, just the intensity and the ferocity and the way the game was played. And it was just an absolute joy to watch. We've spoken about it this week and so many positives to take out of that as a neutral watching that game not so many positives at the weekend for Atletico Madrid meanwhile who lost 1-0 to Mallorca who are 17th in La Liga and really scrapping to try and stay up in the Spanish top flight with those respective results in mind with a particular particular focus on Manchester City do you think Sunday's game with Liverpool would have taken a lot out of them physically mentally emotionally and will that have an impact tonight against an Atletico team who we know are very skilled in the the darker arts and the more gritty side of the game yeah I think it will have done a bit because there was just so much focus on it wasn't there and and these ridiculous things that were being said about the game you know even on Sky Sports it's the title decider it's not the title decider. It's like the 10th of April or whatever. There's loads of time to go, right? <laughs> and it's not the title decider anyway, because look, you, they, it ended in a draw. Nothing's changed. So it's not the title decider. There was so much ridiculous hype attached to it, not just on TV, but in the papers uh, and all the rest. And, you know, that's going to have a little bit of an effect on the players. But of course, with uh, with this one, you know, the players have got time to relax for a day after maybe and then and then... They've, they've got to travel to to Spain and probably on that journey, you know, they, they've got plenty of time. The players to get their heads in into the into the fixture, probably more than the fans have, you know, because we're all working, doing other stuff, and maybe not as focused on the match as the players are. So they'll they'll be in the zone, I'm sure, and they've got enough in the tank. They've got a big squad. We know that Man City can play a second string and, and still field nothing but internationals. So they're, they're going to have that strength in depth. Um, I think more than actually taking anything out of them physically, it's maybe just taken a little bit of the build-up off of this game in terms of the media and, and all that. So maybe there's a bit of pressure off in some respects. All that pressure went at the weekend and the focus hasn't been on this game against Atletico, which is going to be a really tough test. You know, going to their place is not going to be an easy place to go. Diego Simeone is you know, going to be in his element and there's all sorts of tricks and stuff going to be coming their way. But 1-0 isn't a really comfortable lead to be defending, as we know. Um, and yeah, this it is still a big match. And and for Man City, you know, they know internally that the Champions League is the one they really want to win more than the Premier League. You know, the the owners, Pep, they want to win the Champions League. So I wouldn't be fooled that that this is uh, has got less significance. I think within the group, within the club. This is the match that they're they're focused on 
Maybe not more than, but at least as much as the game against Liverpool at the weekend. It was announced in the press conference before this game, inadvertently, and this took Pep Guardiola and a fair few City fans by surprise, Fernandinho, the sort of legendary City defensive midfield player who's been at the club for nearly 10 years, he's going to be moving on in the summer. It's not too much of a surprise, but maybe the timing and the fact he revealed it in a press conference was a bit of a shock to some Blues. Uh, He'll be moving back to Brazil at the end of the season. Off the back of Aguero last year, the perfect ending for him to win the Premier League. Uh, it was company the year before that, David Silva before that. Um, it, you know, it just seems to be the string of City heroes and icons that won them that Premier League 10 years ago now in 2012. They, they all seem to be falling apart one by one. Obviously, Fernandinho wasn't part of that side. He did come later. But for you, Matt, I'm sure he's a bona fide City legend. What a servant he's been to your club. So just a few words from you and some Thoughts from you on the fact that he's going to be off in the summer? Yeah, and it was Yaya Torre before David Silva. God, I just wish, <laughs> I just wish we'd have one summer where we didn't lose a club legend. You know, it's we all know it's coming at some point because the players are getting older and you know they're in and out of the squad as much as they used to be, and you know, and it's it's just something that that's going to happen eventually, and it's inevitable. Um, with Fernandinho when he first came in I mean I don't know if a few um, if you know this like he paid some of his transfer fee to move from Shakhtar yeah, not many, n- yeah not, not many players have done that he was that excited to come and work for us that he actually fronted up the money to pay some of his transfer fee so you know it's, he's a club legend I mean there's, there's only so many words I can say about Fernandinho he's been one of the best defensive midfielders the Premier League's ever seen um, tenacious he, he had an eye for goal as well in certain situations um, the volley against United in the, the League Cup semi um, last season is an iconic moment for me just looking at his face after he scored that goal he couldn't believe that it went in um, he's won Premier Leagues FA Cups League Cups the only thing is not won is uh, the, the Champions League and hopefully you know fingers crossed this, this season it doesn't end like it did for Aguero with him walking past it in tears you know hopefully he can have, um, have a, a part of the the celebration of us winning that because he is the club captain as you mentioned when he plays Um I can't see him really playing too much part between now and the end of the season, but you know, with it being a busy schedule, a lot of intensity, like we mentioned, you know, there could be injuries, and if he comes in, I don't trust anyone more to do a better job than him because whatever he's on the pitch, whenever he's on the pitch, he puts in one hundred and fifty percent, and there's blood, sweat, and tears left on there. So, I was a bit, a bit shocked yesterday because, like you said, it came out in a press conference, but it actually came out and said it was a spur of the moment thing, and that everything isn't sort of set and done yet. But you feel that you know he's already got his his mind on moving back to Brazil with his family and fair play to him. Go and enjoy the sunshine, Fernandinho, and uh, thank you for the memories. Well, Fernandinho could be leaving Manchester City in the summer. Could Mo Salah be leaving Liverpool? That's a question that seems to be hanging over Anfield at the moment. But for the time being, that will be put on the shelf because there's a job at hand for Jurgen Klopp's Reds to get on with. And that's the second leg of their respective quarterfinal. They lead Benfica by three goals to one on aggregate. It feels like job done for Liverpool already. Ian, this should be comfortable enough for them. Barring a pretty big capitulation, they should be in the semi-finals of this season's competition. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, contrast to what we're saying about Man City, you know, defending a 1-0 lead, um, Liverpool defending a 3-1 lead at home as well should be fairly routine. But, you know, when it comes to Liverpool, we should always wonder what Michael Owen thinks. And uh, Michael Owen has been giving his thoughts and his predictions on, on what will happen. Uh, he says, This shall be a straightforward night at Anfield. 
Benfica caused a few problems in Lisbon, but Liverpool <laughs> deserved to win by at least a couple of goals. I like the look of Darwin Nunes, but I can't see him or Benfica causing too many problems. 2-0 Liverpool. There you go. So... Who brought Michael Owen on a podcast? Yeah, there's Michael. Michael, there is the, that is. I'm channeling the thoughts of Michael Owen. It's one of my special skills. Uh, the old crystal, the, the Owen crystal ball there. And uh, so yeah, so it's going to be a comfortable win. I, I agree with Michael. I think he's. Uh, I, I I think he's on the money there. Uh, so yeah, a good aggregate win. For um, this is a good draw for them, really, isn't it, Benfica? I mean, we joke about Michael Owen's comments, but he's got a point. It, you know, it's, they didn't really cause Liverpool any problems, did they? They did score, and it was 3-1, and that Darwin Nunez looks like a very good player, I will say that. Um, yeah. You know, it might be harder for Man City against Atletico than it will be for Liverpool against Benfica, you feel. Do you think they'll be thinking ahead in any way? Do you think they'll be thinking about who they could potentially face in the semi-finals, Ian? Or do you think it will just be focus on tonight? They've got to focus on tonight first because there's no point concentrating on who you're going to get in the next round if you end up getting turned over by Benfica after all that. Um, so now get the job done. And then, well, it, it, it's, um, you know, potentially a, uh, you know, a, a tricky um, task, isn't it, in the next round? But, you know, you're in the semi-finals of the Champions League by then. There's no easy games. You're going to have to face, you know, the best team ultimately at the end anyway. So Liverpool have been there, seen it, done it. They've got that confidence. Uh, in this particular competition so now I think they'll deal with the job tonight and then worry about what happens after that okay Liverpool 3 Benfica 1 on aggregate who will progress to the semi-finals of the Champions League we'll find out tonight and we'll bring you all of the updates on that on tomorrow's edition of Football Social Daily now one side who are struggling to qualify for the Champions League they've already been knocked out of this season's competition is a rival of those two aforementioned clubs a big rival Manchester United they're looking for a change in leadership and they're on the brink of appointing their next manager we'll talk about that after this Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. Champions League action for a number of clubs over the last couple of days of Premier League persuasion, but not so for Manchester United, who are out of the competition, and it looks like they might struggle to qualify for next season's competition as well. They're currently way back in the race for the top four. They're not completely out of it, such as the way this season has gone. Very, very strange indeed in that race to finish in those top four spots. But they do need a new manager. Ralph Rangnick, the German, is in interim charge at the moment. And it looks like that new face could be Eric Tenag of Ajax. We spoke about this on Monday. It's good for the fans to have this announced sooner rather than later before this season does peter out because it's in danger of doing so. The reports are claiming, Matt, that United are on the brink of this Tenag announcement. Do you share those thoughts that it would probably be better for the Reds in the city to have this announced sooner rather than later to give them something to feel good about in what's been a pretty dire season for them? Yeah, for their for their mental state, obviously, because they've not got much to cheer about at the moment. Um, there's nothing but anxiety at the moment from the Red Half of Manchester. Um, and obviously it helps because... If Ten Hag gets an out sooner rather than later, they can get more things sorted in obviously in the back and obviously with Ranjik leaving at the end of the season, they can just get some like formalities sorted. But I mean, they've got some tough games coming up. They've got 
obviously Norwich next game, but then they've got Liverpool and Arsenal in the next two games. They might not even have European football next season, and I'm not sure if that'll just completely change Ten Hag's mindset. Obviously, he'll have, if there's a deal in place, he can't go he can't go back on his word. But is he going to be able to attract those players that he's maybe thinking about buying right now? Do you know what I mean? Because if they've not got European football, he's going to have to you know throw a lot of money at these players and a lot of wages to convince them to come to Old Trafford because these players that they're linked with. They're going to want to play on the biggest stage of them all, which is the Champions League, and it's looking increasingly more and more unlikely that they're not going to be there. Obviously, there's still you know seven, eight games to play for some teams in the rest of the season, and Arsenal have a game in hand. So it's just it all depends on the next couple of results for me. Personally, I want them to do well against Liverpool, respectively, <laughs> because obviously <laughs> it's got uh, bigger implications for us in that. I'll be probably, a, I don't think I've ever said this before in my life, I'll be a United fan for 90 minutes in that game. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it's just going to be one of these things for United fans now. It's going to be a, a finish line now to the end of the season. They're going to have to just win each game, take each game um, at a time. And hopefully Ten Hag, for him personally, he gets to have um, some European football for Manchester United next season. And obviously it'll make things easier for him in the transfer market. I think the question is, for a lot of Manchester United supporters, is if we appoint Eric Ten Hag now will that give the players a bit of a kick up the backside to perform in those remaining games, as Matt says? Because, you know, you've then got a group of players who have underperformed, Ian, at this point of the season, all of a sudden with seven, six, five games left, have got a new manager to impress because I feel like with Ten Hag, there's a freshness and maybe an air of ruthlessness that could come with his arrival at Old Trafford. And some of these players who have been quite comfortable and certain in their position in the team might not feel so comfortable now moving forward. So I guess there's other elements and other benefits to announcing him earlier. Yeah, possibly. Um, because as you say, it's, it's hard to see exactly what Man United have got to play for uh, other than trying to get in the Champions League, uh, you know, at the moment. Um, and and those remaining weeks now, this, you know, last five or six weeks or whatever of the season could be a good chance for, for these players who are maybe finding themselves on the fringes and, and not playing quite as regular as they'd like to make a case for it. And a few of these big-time Charlies that pro- certainly need sorting out, I think, at Man United. And, you know, I'm not surprised this is how it's gone for Man United. I, I certainly said at the start of this season, certainly when they sign Cristiano Ronaldo, they're going to have a season worrying about egos. And that's exactly how it's panned out. And, you know, even this more as, as recently as this last weekend with Ronaldo and the kid... And, you know, you've got a new story there now that doesn't need to be there. And it's just all sideshow and not concentrating on the football. And and that was always how it was going to be when you sign these big-name players, too many big-name players. I think it's great that we have these international legends uh, that fans can go and watch. We all want, to, we want them in our league. We want that focus and, the, you know, all that kind of side of it. But... You don't want all the extra baggage that goes with it. And I think you have too many players like that and you become a Galacticos. And, you know, you're just dealing with reputations and names rather than what they're actually doing on the field, which more often than not is is not as much as you'd hope. So he needs to sort that out, whoever takes over. Well, um, he's the fifth at, manager since Fergie retired. He'll yeah. be manager number five. Yeah. So it, is, there, is there anything... I know we don't know a great deal about Ten Hag and we'd be sitting on here lying to ourselves if we all said we knew exactly you know, the inner workings of his Ajax sides. We're not exactly exposed to the Eredivisie very often here 
in the UK and if you want it to be you can go out and search for it but I don't think many people do and I think it's okay to admit that that there's an element of the unknown here and I think it'll probably be the same for some of the players but is there anything to suggest for you with this potential appointment which according to many well-respected sources and journalists is very very close to being done and could even be announced next week that this appointment will work when you've got the likes of Mourinho, Van Gaal, two really top managers, David Moyes, who was almost hand-picked, some say, uh, to take over from Ferguson. They all failed, yet they've been successful elsewhere in their careers. So is there anything to suggest for you that this one with Ten Hag will work where the others didn't? It all depends on um, how things go, I think, in the transfer window and, and through the course. We, we don't know what decisions have already been made. You know, There, there must have been some discussions of, of what is going to happen and what needs to happen. You would think that that's the case, that he's not going to come into Manchester United unless he has some reassurances of what he wants to do, getting players in, getting players out, what have you. Why would you take a job where you, your hands are tied? Um, I think that Man United have learnt from maybe some of their previous mistakes and learnt from not allowing managers, you'd hope, learn from not allowing managers to, to, to do what they want and supporting their managers with the signings that they need because we've seen that before where they haven't really backed the manager or they've been very slow to get in there. I think we will know when the transfer window comes round, when players start getting signed, where Man United are at. Because if they're going all guns blazing, they're getting rid of players, they're getting new players in, I think we can see that Man United mean business. Ten Hag's going to have his way and let's see how it goes. Um, that will be the litmus test. Till we know that, it's hard to say. You know, it's just we're just making a a, a a sort of blind prediction, really. But he seems to be, from what I've read, a good man manager. He needs to be a strong man manager because there's, you know, so many, as I say, so many egos, so many reputations, so many personal agendas within that dressing room. It all needs sorting out. They need to start pulling in the same direction. Uh, and, I think and a diff- couple of those diff- egos will be gone. Yeah, honest, I think so. Uh, the, the, I.e. Pogba, Ronaldo, I think they'll be gone. Yeah, and, and it's it's poisonous to the whole group of players, though, because all you need is a couple of people chatting in a corner. And that, that goes for any company. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a football club, you work yeah. in a factory or a cafe or wherever. It doesn't matter. If you've got a couple of people in your team who are chatting away in the corner, causing a problem or stirring stuff up, that you know that the, you've, you've got a rotten bunch there and that is what's going on that's why managing so hard though isn't yeah. it that's why managers you know need to earn their coin and i think it's it's always something that amuses me when you see reports come out in the press of two players have had a falling out or a fight at the training ground like a squad is 28 men you know that are not always going to see eye for eye to eye because they're all competing for the same 11 spots in the starting starting side you know, you know, everyone thinks that all teammates get on with each other. I mean, how many workplaces has the general person worked in where they've not got on with everyone in the office? It's just natural that there are going to be people that you don't connect with. And it's the same in an elite, competitive, highly charged environment at a football club. So I always find that quite funny when, when people say, oh, the manager's lost the dressing room or, you know, these two players had a fight. I can't believe it. They're supposed to be working on the same team. It's like... Come on, guys. <laughs> this ha- Reminds I'm me sure- of um, when Joy Barton absolutely leathered Usman Darbo a few years ago when um, we, we had uh, Stuart Pearce in charge. Like you said, all, all it takes is one bad apple to spoil the cart, like um, Ian was mentioning. Yeah, I mean, even with Liverpool, you know, the, the success they've had as a team and that front three they've had over the last few years has been excellent. But we hear about these rifts between Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. 
you know, they don't have to like each other for it to be successful. And I'm sure, similarly for Manchester City, who have been the best side in England over the last five or six years, I'm sure there's fights in training between players and there's little cliques here and there. That's just kind of the way it goes. What I'm interested in here is the fact that because Bayern Munich were knocked out of the Champions League, Matt, there's a a, a chance that Julian Nagelsmann could become available in the summer. With the uncertainty at Chelsea, there's a chance that Thomas Tuchel could become available in the summer. Maurizio Pochettino is a name that's fallen down the pecking order. He's still at PSG. And so it looks like United are going to appoint Ten Hag. But are they doing the right thing by going in early? Like we mentioned, there are benefits to it. Or should they wait a little bit longer to potentially get someone who is an even better candidate? I don't think they can afford to wait much longer, to be honest. Like I said before, the situation now for Manchester United is getting pretty desperate by their standards. The seventh in the Premier League, like I said, not guaranteed to have any European football next season. I think they need to get it sorted and get it sorted now. Because, like you mentioned before, Niall, it can have a positive impact on the players. It can lift the mood amongst the fans as well. I think United, they need it. They, they, well, we say need it, they don't need it. But from like a, a business standpoint, they need it. From a football standpoint, they need it. So I don't think they can afford to wait for someone like Nagelsmann. Obviously, with them going out last night in the Champions League, it's a big dagger in the heart for them. Because even though, like, I remember when Pep Guardiola was over there, he won four Bundesligas on the trot, but because he never won the European Cup for him, he was sort of branded a failure, which is absolutely crazy to say. But it's true. It's when when you're at these big clubs like Bayern Munich, like PSG, if you don't win you know, the European Cup, the Champions League, whatever you want to call it, it's it's always going to be something that people mention, no matter how successful you are domestically. When I think of Ten Hag, I think of his um, Ajax team in 2018-19 and obviously they got to the semi-final of the Champions League and knocked out Spurs in very, very dramatic fashion. When I think of that team, that team was one of the best football teams of that eight, that sort of season to watch, you know, on the ball. It was, it, was, it was awesome. They all worked for each other. There was a team, I think, there. If Ten Hag's going into Manchester United, he's going to have to bring that with him. But with the players that are currently there, he isn't going to be able to do that. So if he go if he goes in, he's going to have to you know clean house. He's going to have to get rid of a lot of dead wood. But you have to replace that dead wood with quality. So is he going to be able to bring that quality in? That's just the big thing for me. The big thing for me is the European thing for me for Manchester United. Are they going to be able to replace that dead wood if they don't get that European football? Um, I'm sure Ten Hag's. Obviously, I already thought about this. If the deal is as close to being done as what we're being told, mm-hmm. if it's as close to being done as next week, you know, is he already thinking about certain things? So yeah. it's 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 going to be interesting to watch over the next uh, week or so. Like I said, I just want them to do us a favour against Liverpool. That's the only thing <laughs> I, I'm bothered about about Manchester United right now. Pers- on a personal level, I couldn't care less <laughs> what they're what they're doing. You know what I mean? It's quite funny for me to watch right now, especially obviously the result against Everton over the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's. From Manchester United fans' point of view, it's a huge week incoming. Yeah, like what I was saying before, the possibilities of Nagelsmann and Pochettino and Tuchel, they're all just me playing devil's advocate. As Matt rightly points out, it looks almost nailed on that Eric Tenag, the Ajax manager, will be unveiled as the new Manchester United boss at some point in the next couple of weeks. I don't think it will be before the weekend because Ajax have a cup final on Sunday that they're contesting. And I don't think that that is in the best interest of either club to announce a manager's departure at such a key time of the season. So we'll wait and see what happens there. But it's certainly looking very likely indeed that United will announce Ten Hag. Right, curveball. OK, Ten Hag comes the manager. Who's his assistant? Mm. 
Uh, who would he pick? Do you think? Do you think he would pick someone with some Manchester United pedigree from They're the talking about like people like Darren Fletcher and stuff like that, aren't they? But someone, like, well. someone, I think told me not too long ago, people don't even know what Darren Fletcher does. At the <laughs> <laughs> so you can't, like, you know what I mean? He's just sort of like sat there, you know, because he's Darren Fletcher and he used to play for Man United under Fergie. What, like, what would yeah, he? But- what would he? His impact be as, a, as an assistant coach? It's interesting to watch though. But Eric Ten Hag's sort of Mr Miyagi, if you like, from his. Uh, is his early days of management, <laughs> FC20. Steve McLaren. There you go. It all comes around full oh, circle. No. Hey. He's going to come and do a press conference in the Dutch well, accent. Imagine. Oh, listen, I've been to Steve McLaren's house <laughs> once, right, to do a job. To, uh, oh, well, to, here's another yeah, story, yeah, yeah. another Chrissy Wilder story uh, coming in. Here. Well, no, no. So I, um, I was doing some work for, for, uh, for Five Live, and um, I had to go to Steve McLaren's house to uh, basically just put a microphone under his face while he did um, a live show for an hour. Um, so yeah. turn up Sunday morning, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, whatever. Hello, Steve McLaren answers the door. Here he is, invites me in, and uh, he's a love. He's you know what? He's a lovely guy. Here's a little fact: Steve McLaren lives in um, Brian Robson's old house. So when Brian Robson left Middlesbrough, Steve McLaren moved into Brian Robson's house, <laughs> and, uh, and so that was an easy sort of swap. Um, but yeah, so I'm sat in his little study and. Um, there's this like, bookcase, all these books on it and some like dusty kind of ornaments and things. And I'm sort of, you know, having a quick neb while I'm in there. You know, what's this? Oh, it's a Premier League Championship winner's medal. Oh. Just gathering dust there on the side. You know, like you've got some little trinkets. Yeah. Or and there, and it is uh, Eredivisie winning <laughs> medal. And um, and he did that oh. with uh, with Ten Hag, of course. Twent. So there you go. With Twente, yeah, he yeah. did. He did. Um, you never know. There might be a link there. M- maybe not. You know what, I love these little anecdotes for me, and I really do. I was expecting him to answer the door like naked no, or something. No. That's normally what sorts of happens in your story. Oh, Ian, <laughs> come stuff. in. Is it that time already? No, he didn't say that. And then the next time I met him, the next time I met him uh, was a couple of weeks later, and it was at a hotel um, where we were doing the same show. And um, do you know what? He, he presented me with a cup of tea, which was made to my exacting specifications, which he'd remembered from our first encounter. So that was a nice little touch. That is a skill. That, that is an art. Yeah. That is an art. I thought that was very smooth. Yeah. The skills of management. The skills of go. management. Well, mm. it might be Steve McLaren. We don't know, but it certainly looks like Eric Ten Hag. And that is it from us today on Football Social Daily. Always the most cutting-edge analysis on this podcast, isn't <laughs> Failing. it? <laughs> yeah. That's why we're award-winning, guys. Oh, can, I just, can I just say, can I just say, by the way, Sports Social Podcast fans... The podcast of the week this week is mine. No Breaks, No Fear, the official British Speedway podcast. It's out now, and it's the podcast of the week. Go and check that out on the Sports Social website, sport-social.co.uk. Just click the podcast tab at the top. You'll find that one right front and centre at the homepage there. You'll also find loads of other great shows. You can also find that and this podcast, of course, as you well know by now, on all of your usual podcast platforms. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode. We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll see you then. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.